Well, good morning for those of you that don't know me. Don't know me. I'm Pastor Jose. I'm the lead pastor here at Church of the Bridge, and it's exciting to have you guys here. Um, and it's my privilege today to share the Word of God with you. Uh, we've been on a series the last couple of weeks entitled, This is What We Do. This is what we do. And it's, the basis behind uh, this series is basically uh, mimicking off of the fact that, hey, there are just things that we know to do in life. How many of you wake up and have to think about breathing? just doesn't happen, right? You just do it, right? How many of you have to think about eating? Oh, stop it. You do not think about eating. 12 o'clock hits, and some of you are thinking about, you already have it planned what you're going to eat when you get out of here, right? Yeah, see, there you go. My, my case in point. Lenny's proof of it. But my point is this. Think about this. According to Scripture, there are things that we as believers should know to do. And not only should we know to do them, but we should do them naturally. They should become second nature to us. And so today we're talking about the topic of forgiveness. And I want you to consider this point. And I'm going to qualify this with scripture. I'm not here to give you my, my opinion. Because my opinion doesn't matter. What matters here is God's word. Amen? Can you say amen to that? Amen. God's word. You don't want to hear what Pastor Jose has to say. You want to hear what does God's word say. Right? And so forgiveness... This is what we do. Say that with me. We forgive. This is what we do. This is what we do. We forgive, right? And so that's our big idea today, right? But unfortunately, the need to forgive isn't as obvious, for example, as it is to breathe. The need to forgive isn't as obvious to many people today. We live in a world that's very unforgiving. And unfortunately, to make matters worse, that's also true amongst believers forgiveness right and so i want you to turn in your bible with me to matthew chapter 18 matthew 18 and i want to give you some background here jesus is literally talking about forgiveness he's talking about uh what we do when there are offenses he's talking about uh what happens when we offend one of these little ones he refers them to what happens when we offend someone who's young in the faith childlike faith but then he goes on to talk about how, and many people uh, misinterpret this scripture. So I'm going to read it uh, from Matthew 18, 50, 15 through 22. So I am going to read it, guys, so you can put that up. But Matthew chapter eight, uh, 18, verses 15 through 22. So I'll read it, and then I'll just give you some, some idea of what we're, where we're going here. It says, moreover, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he hears you, you've gained your brother. But if he will not hear you, take with you one or two more, that by the mouth or two or three witnesses, every word may be established. So what is Jesus talking about? He's talking about offenses. He's talking about when your brother, when that person that you love, when someone offends you. That's what he's talking about. And then he goes on to say, and if he refuses to hear you, in verse 17, tell it to the church. But if he refuses even to hear the church, let him be to you like a heathen and a tax collector. Assuredly, I say to you that whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you that if two of you agree on earth concerning anything that they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there in the midst of them. And so most people will hone in on verses 18 through 20 and go, whatever I bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever I loose on earth will be loose in heaven. And that's true. 
But Jesus is speaking within the context of what you do when you forgive. He's talking about heaven backs you up. Right? As it is in heaven, so it is on earth. And so now let's transition into verse 21. I wanted to give you that background so you understand what's going on here. Verse 21, it says, Then Peter came to him and said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times. Let's, up to seven times, he asked. Let's pause right there. What do we see? Peter has a problem with what Jesus is saying. You've got to understand the times that we're talking in. What's going on? What's, what's the culture? What's, what's the religious norm? What's acceptable in those days? They're under the law. You know what the law said? Eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. That's what the law says. The law says if somebody does you wrong, you do the same thing back to them. It's justified. And so Jesus is talking about something completely different here. If you read it, go ahead and read a couple of verses before where we started. What you see is Jesus is talking about don't even allow the offense to remain. If, if your eye causes you to sin, he says, in relation to your offense, pluck it out. So he's talking about have no offense among you. And Peter has a problem. So Peter, it seems, is being generous. Peter says, well, then how many times should I forgive? Should I do it seven times? I imagine that Peter thought he was doing a good thing, that he was being generous. And Jesus says to him this, verse 22, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. Do the math on that. 490 times, and check this out, per offense. So here's the point that Jesus is making. He's, the point that he's making isn't forgive up to 490 times. No, what he's saying is forgive with an unlimited amount. Now, I recognize that this might be hard to comprehend. Hey, it was hard for Peter to comprehend. It was hard for him to swallow. But to forgive this way takes more than a conscious effort. Listen, to forgive this way takes a love that is so pure, so good, so forgiving, that it defines a life. I'm talking about a changed life, a changed heart, right? And so now I realize that for some of us, this might seem a little difficult. This might seem almost impossible because, Pastor Jose, you don't understand how people have hurt me. You don't understand to what extent people have gone. You don't understand the, the, the offense towards me, how people have violated me. You don't understand what this person did. You don't understand the trauma that it's caused in my life that until this very day, I still carry this. Pastor Jose, you don't get it. I understand more than you know. I understand more than you know. And I want you to see something. That if the Bible tells us that we can forgive this way, here's what we need to understand. That it's possible. Our ability to forgive is possible. It's possible. And so today, I want you to take heed to the word of God. 
because we're going to be looking at how to forgive. We're going to be looking at how do we do this. You know, in my younger years, uh, there came a point in my life. My mother was, she raised six of us practically by herself. But there did come a point in her life where she remarried. And what she thought was going to be bliss turned out to be the most tumultuous years, not just for her, but for all of us, for all six of us. Um, my stepdad, for that period of time, was physically, emotionally, verbally, in every way abusive. Fights were a common thing in my home. Domestic violence was a common thing in my home. As a matter of fact, at the age of eight years old, I was having fist fights with a 5'10", 235-pound, solid man. And I can assure you this, every time I lost. I lost every time. Every single time. This was what my home looked like. This is what I grew up in. You know how we say, I hate ice cream? And what we really are saying is, I dislike ice cream. I prefer pistachio. I prefer whatever, mint chocolate chip. Uh, for those of you that prefer mint chocolate chip, praise God, you've gotten a revelation of Jesus, you're going to heaven. Um, mint chocolate chip is the way to go. I'm kidding, ladies and gentlemen. But my point is this, that at a very young age, I knew what hate was. When I tell you I hated this man, I hated him. With every ounce of strength that I had, I hated him. And this had a deep impact on my life because I was angry to the very core. I was hurt beyond physical hurt. See, the black eyes, they healed. The bruises, they went away. But the impact of that, it remained. And so, not only was I hurt, but I grew to do the only thing I knew to do. See, because hurt people, all they know how to do is hurt people. That's it. It's what we know to do. And so I carried this for many, many years. This was my mode of communication for many years. These right here. The scars that I bear all on my knuckles and everything, they came as a result of what I knew. I, I could very easily be the life of the party and be with my friends and everything was good and in a minute just snap. And it was unhealthy. And so I carried this for many years and it wasn't until, and here's what's twisted and, and, and sick in a way about this, that at a young age I came to know Jesus as my Lord and Savior and that was genuine and that was true. But you know, when you hold on to anger and hurt and hate so much, when it's so real and so prevalent and so present in your heart and in your mind and in your day-to-day -day experience, you can know the love of God and yet not understand it. You can possess all that the kingdom affords you and live like you don't possess it because you're hurt and you're hate and the unforgiveness that you hold on to is so much bigger than any love that you could receive. 
I'll be frank with you. For me, it was like I was holding a knife, looking for the opportunity to hurl it at him. But the problem is I wasn't holding the handle, I was holding the blade. And I was squeezing tight. That's what my life looked like. That's what unforgiveness was doing to me. If we could just be honest, I'm not saying you got to shout yourself out, or that's not what I'm talking about here. But if we can be honest, if you've ever been in a place where you just could not bring yourself to forgive, who's the one really hurting? Let's be honest about that. Through all the hurt, through all the resentment, through all the rancor, through all the pain, through all the hate, through all that, the people that have offended us sometimes will continue to live their lives. But we hold on to the blade. That's not God's will. While I was mad at him, I was hurting myself. I had to let go. And maybe, just maybe, just maybe today, maybe, just maybe, God is speaking to you today. And maybe it's time that you let go. And so, what we see here is that Jesus gives us clear example that forgiveness is not only possible, but forgiveness can work to an unlimited capacity. It really can. And maybe what you hear when I make that statement is that everything is peaches and cream and this person walks over you and stomps on your heart stomps on your emotions, stomps on you physically maybe. Maybe that's what you're hearing. But that's not what I'm saying. Listen, there's wisdom in forgiveness. Sometimes the offender, the people that have propagated the greatest offenses against us, know no better. And so the only thing that we can do is let go of hurt. Let go of the pain and forgive, but also set boundaries that do not allow for there to be an offense on their part, but also an offense in our heart. You know, the Bible clearly says that we are to be at peace with all men. Listen closely. Unto the extent that is possible is what Scripture says. And sometimes all you can do is establish the boundaries that ensure peace for you. And afford this person the opportunity to be at peace. But you're not responsible for them being at peace. And you're not responsible for them continuing the offense. Here's what we are responsible for. Taking on an offense. Allowing that to determine the state of our attitude, of our heart, of our mindsets. And so... Let's continue in Matthew 18, and I want to take you to verses 23 through 35. Because Jesus says to him in verse 22, I didn't say, I'm not saying forgive seven times. No, Peter, for every single offense, forgive beyond limit. And so in verse 23, Jesus brings a parable into the picture. He's trying to illustrate a spiritual kingdom principle through natural means. Thus, he says, therefore, 
the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. Now let's just pause right there because we have to understand that the king that he's referring to is God. It's God himself. And so he's symbolically representing the father. And so watch the heart of the king. He wants accounts settled with his servants. So what we're going to see is that they owe him. But the king wants to clear the accounts. And so in verse 24 it says, And when he had begun to settle accounts, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. But as he was not able to pay his master, commanded that he be sold with his wife and children and all that he had, and that payment be made. The, the servant therefore fell down before him saying, Master, have patience uh, and I will pay you all. And in verse 27 he says, Thus the master of that servant was moved with compassion, released him and forgave him the debt. Now let's understand something here. The master was requiring what was owed to him. Let's understand this in context. God is a just God. And so God demands justice. And according to the law and the way things function in those times, justice said, you must pay what you owe. And so the master in this story is correct. He's just in saying, pay what you owe. And because you can't pay it, then I have to turn, you have to go and until you settle these accounts, you have to figure out a way to pay this. But watch true justice here. The heart of the master of God the Father. He has compassion. And so he releases him from all debt. Isn't that what Christ did for mankind? Isn't that what God did by Christ? Right? And so in verse 28, it says, But the servant went out, now after he's been absolved of what he owes, the servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And he laid hands on him and took him by the throat, saying, Pay me what you owe. And so his fellow servant fell down at his feet and begged him, saying, Have patience with me. Sound familiar? And I will pay you all. And he would not. But he went on and threw him into prison till he should pay the debt. And so when his fellow servants saw what had been done, they were very grieved and came and told their master all that had been done. And then his master, after he had called him, said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Should you not also have had compassion on your fellow servant just as I had pity on you? And his master was angry and delivered him to the torturers until, that he, until he should pay all that was due to him. And so my heavenly father will also do to, to you if each of you from his heart does not forgive his brethren his trespasses. So I want to hone in on this for a moment because this parable is widely misunderstood by many. It's misunderstood in that the common train of thought is that the the, the point of it is that God will only forgive you to the extent that you forgive others. And that's what it sounds like. But that's not what Jesus is saying. The error in misunderstanding the scripture lies in verse 34. Verse 34 says, And as his master was angry and delivered him to the torturer until he should pay all that was due. 
That term there, to deliver into the hands, what it means is to deliver into one's power or use. And so the question here is this, into whose power did the master deliver the servant? His own. He delivered him into his... Here's what this is depicting. Because you've done this, God says, this is in your hands. It's not in mine. And when we dwell in a place of unforgiveness, God's power, God's forgiveness, God's love, God's strength, God's compassion, all that is present. But because we're holding on to a blade, God is saying, son, daughter, just let go. Isn't that interesting that in the Bible, Scripture tells us that when we seek vengeance, that we should not avenge ourselves, but that we should leave it in God's hands because vengeance is his? Check this out. When we choose not to forgive, here's what we do. We cut off the justice, the compassion, the healing of God in the matter. We hold the pain. We hold the hurt. And though we may sincerely cry out and say, God, please help me heal, we will live, we will live sincerely in error. Because the hurt that you hold on to is only yours to let go. You absolve God from his ability to help you there. Forgiveness, ladies and gentlemen, this is what we do. We forgive. We forgive. And so when we choose not to forgive, notice that the Bible says that he delivered him into the hands of the torturer. Notice that the master did not torture him. The master delivers him into the very power and use of his own hands. The torturer is you. The torturer is I. The torturer is we. The torturer is us. And so it's, it's like when we hold on to unforgiveness, when we refuse to forgive, when we hold the offense in our heart against an offender, it's like going to prison for the entirety of your life and having the key to open the door. While having the ability to be free, you stay in the cage. Choosing not to forgive as we have been forgiven is detrimental, ladies and gentlemen. Don't be the jailer in your own life. Let go. In Luke 7, 41 through 48, I want to read to you the words of Jesus. Luke chapter 7, verses 41 through 48. Jesus says this. There was a certain creditor who had two debtors, one who owed 500 denarii and the other 50. Let me just pause right there and back up just to give you a, a, a wider scope of what's, what, what we're about to read here. Jesus is sitting in the house of a Pharisee, a religious leader. And while sitting in this home, 
with a spread before him. They, I mean, they've done it up for him. There's food there and everything. A woman gets hold of the fact that Jesus is in this Pharisee's home. So the Bible says that she shows up. And she shows up and she throws herself prostrate at his feet. And she assumes the role of a slave. How do we know that? Because in those days and times, the custom was that when you had guests in your home, your manservant would wash the feet of your guests. And so this woman, having no flask of water, nothing with which to wash his feet, lays at his feet with tears. And the Bible says that she had a flask of oil. And so with her tears which must have been many, the Bible says she begins to wipe his feet with her tears and her very hair. And then after doing that, the Bible says that she takes a flask of very expensive oil and she pours it on his feet and she rubs his feet. And so now Jesus, sitting there with this going on, the Bible tells us that the Pharisee has this thought in his heart. If he only knew what manner of woman this was, he would know she's a sinner. In other words, he wouldn't let her do what she's doing. And Jesus perceiving the attitude of his heart responds to him with this parable. And so in verse 41, he says, There was a certain creditor who had two debtors, one who owed 500 denarii and the other 50. And when they had nothing with which to repay, he freely forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him more? And the Bible says that Simon responds and says, I suppose the one whom he forgave more. And Jesus responded to him in verse 43, you have rightly judged. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. You gave me no kiss, but this woman has not ceased to kiss my feet since the time I came in. You did not anoint my head with oil, but this woman has anointed my feet with fragrant oil. Therefore, I say to you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven." For she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same little loves. Then Jesus went on to say to her, your sins are forgiven. The point here is this, that when you know the extent of God's forgiveness, you can love much. And when we understand how much God loves us and how much he has forgiven Guess what? It is possible to extend love and forgiveness to an unlimited basis. In Luke 23, I want to shift now gears, and I just want to talk to you for the next couple of moments that we have here today, how we can forgive. And just understand that I'm just touching the surface of this. This is an expansive topic. There's much to it. But in Luke 23, we find Jesus at this juncture of Scripture. He's on a cross. And Jesus has endured much. He's endured the ridicule of people. He's been shamed publicly 
before all those amongst him, his peers and his enemies alike. He's been spit on. He's been beaten. I know that some of us, we've bought into the idea what the movies and the TV shows depict of Jesus on a cross with a little hanky over his private parts. According to Roman culture, when you were crucified, you were crucified naked. You were shamed before the world. And so Jesus was shamed to the utmost. And here he hung on a cross, crucified, with every breath losing more of his physical life. And yet look at the words of Jesus in verse 34. He says, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Let me encourage you with a thought here if we're to truly forgive the way the Bible calls us to. Forgiveness is possible when we can see past the offense. Look at the example of Christ. He's on the cross. Those that are with him in a cross next to him are guilty. The world that has crucified him is guilty. The disciples that have forsaken him are guilty. Everyone stands guilty. And he hangs on a cross sinless and became the very thing that we were. He took on our guilt. And notice what he did in pray. Father, smite them because they are liars. He doesn't say, Father, smite them because they seek after their own desires. Father, smite them because they're vindictive, because they're hurtful, because they're unforgiven. Father, smite them because they neglect one another and they don't love one another. Father, smite them because they don't love you above all. He prays none of those things. Jesus looks past the offense and he identifies the heart of the matter. He says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. You know what he's saying? They don't know the truth. What could the offenses that we hold on look like in our lives? What could our lives look like if we forgave in understanding what the heart of the issue was from the offender? I could tell you honestly that I went through hell and back many times over growing up. If there's anyone that had reason to hate, it's me. If there's anyone that had reason to enact my own sense of justice, street justice, whatever, it was me. If there's anyone that at face value had the right to hurt to a greater extent, that man, it was me. And to this day, to hold on to that anger, that hate, that hurt, it would be me. But I can tell you honestly that today I live at peace. I no longer hurt. And whatever tears I cry today are tears of joy. Because I'm free. But I'll tell you what I learned in that process and it started with this scripture being one of them. I understood that my stepdad 
His issue wasn't that he was an alcoholic. His issue wasn't that he was physically, emotionally, verbally, in every way abusive. That wasn't the issue. His issue was that he didn't grow up with an example of love. His parents gave up on him at a young age. They gave up on giving him guidance. They gave up on forgiving him. They gave up on teaching him. This man was a genius. He could take anything apart and build it. And he didn't know how to read one lick. He had no formal education. He had no formal or personal relationship with anything that resembled love. How could he love? How could he act anything less than what he was doing? It's all he knew. I've forgiven because God has given me the ability to see past the offense. To see past the offender. We can forgive that way. When it comes to the offenses that people inflict upon us, against us do we take this approach where we just look at the offense where we just look at the offender where we just look at our hurt or do we maturely dare to look past that and look at the heart of the matter that's what jesus did that's our example that's what we're called to do our ability to forgive lies in our willingness to look past the offense. Jesus had strong words about this. The Bible says a lot about it. Look at what Ephesians 4.32 says. And be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. Listen, it's possible. I know it hurts. I know it's hard. I know you still want vindication. You want some sense of justice. But justice is not yours to wield. Amen. Forgive. God says it's possible. Just as he forgave us, we can forgive. Look at Luke chapter 6 verses 37 and 38 and see what it says. It says, judge not, and you shall not be judged. Condemn not, and you shall not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your bosom. For with the same measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. Now, verse 38 is popularly used when it comes to speaking about giving and our finances and while that is true i want you to expand the scope of your view according to scripture jesus says judge not and you won't be judged condemn not and you yourself will not be condemned forgive and you yourself will be forgiven and then he goes on to say give and according to what you give you'll receive do we realize that Jesus is not just talking about what we do with our finances? But Jesus is talking about what we do with our own personal judgments that we hold against others. 
Jesus is talking about the condemnation that we wield against others. The people that have offended us, that are somehow trying to get together and maybe don't know how, and we freely say, oh, but you did this, but you did that, but this is what you've done, and this is what you've always said. And while we play the role of judge, executioner, and we condemn, what we fail to realize that the scriptural principle is that what you sow, you reap also. You know what's one thing that's true according to Scripture, what we begin to see about unforgiveness? That if what we hold is unforgiveness in our heart, not only are we holding on to offenses, but we ourselves are offenders. The person that can't bring themselves to the point of forgiveness is themselves a person that has yielded offense towards others. You know why? Because an unforgiving person only knows to dwell in unforgiveness themselves. They can't bring themselves to a place where they can be forgiven because of, because of their belief and what's in their heart. All they can do is offend. But on the same token, they can't, receive, they can't free themselves because they themselves hold the condemnation against others. See, forgiveness is possible when it is the seed that we sow. Are you sowing forgiveness? Are we sowing forgiveness? This is what the kingdom of God calls us to. Jesus used strong words regarding this point. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 5, he says, Hypocrite, first move, remove the plank from your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. I like to think of it this way. I want you to get a visual of this because I'm a very visual person. Jesus is talking about a large piece of wood. And here's what he says. You who hold the fence against another, don't be a hypocrite because while you're looking at the speck in your brother's eye, you've got a plank in yours. And here's what he's saying. Take the plank out first so that you could, remain, you could remove the speck out of your brothers. You know what he's saying there? I want you to think about this. As long as there's a plank in your eye, if I have an offense against Jeff, he's offended me, and I've got this plank in my eye, I'm holding on to this anger, this resentment, this hate. While it's in my eye, guess what? There's never the possibility to happen reconciliation where the plan can be removed and now I can come up close and personal and we can reconcile and I can take the speck out of yours. That's what unforgiveness does. It stops the ability for reconciliation. It blinds us to what's possible. Forgiveness, ladies and gentlemen, this is what we do. This is what we do. This is what we're called to. This is the kingdom truth. This is a kingdom reality. This is the way it's supposed to be. The way it's supposed to be. We forgive. The last point I want to make for you today comes from Matthew chapter 5, verses 43 through 45. Jesus again speaking says this, 
you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, in other words, disregard the law. Disregard what the law says to you. Disregard what justice in your own understanding says. I say to you, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. And pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. That you may be sons of your Father in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good. And he sends rain on the just and the unjust. I want us to think about this as we're closing here today. To love an enemy, to bless someone who curses you, to pray for those who use you and persecute, persecutes you, it takes a conscious decision before there can ever be an offense. Think about this. You know this person has nothing but ill will towards you. That they're going to talk you down, that they're going to shout you down, that they're going to ridicule you, that they're going to uh, 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 cut you at the knees however they can. That's their heart attitude. That's where they are. And so you already know, I can expect that. Watch what Jesus says. You know they're going to curse you. Bless them. You want to hate your enemy. Love them. You know how you can do that? When you come to the point of maturity where you realize this is what they do, but this is what I do. I forgive. Can I just encourage you with a thought, a sobering thought? We live in a world where people will offend us. They will. They will. At your job, in your home, in your marriage, amongst family, your own children, your mother, your father. You know, for many years, not only was I angry at my stepdad, I was angry at my mother. Because many times we said, Mom, is this what you want for us? You're not protecting us. By you having him here, you're allowing this. You're bringing this in here. And so for many years, I was angry at my mother. It was weird because it was this love-hate relationship. I loved you, Mom, but I hated the hurt that you allowed. Those that are closest to us, not just the world, but those closest to us, we have to come to terms with this. People will hurt us. And guess what? We'll hurt them too. As your pastor, for those of you that call this home, I will fail you at times. I'll fail you. You might find yourself in a dire situation and you might call and I might not pick up. You might be going through something and maybe just maybe in the midst of whatever I'm doing, I may not completely listen. I'll fail you. 
the people we love will fail us that way too. But will the disposition of our heart, because we know a love so much greater than any love we've ever known before, will that disposition of our heart be, I forgive you. Knowing that you'll hurt me, I've already forgiven you. That doesn't mean that it's like we just subject ourselves to abuse. No. If anything, what it means is I love you enough to forgive you and, you know, to wisely set boundaries. Not just so you can't hurt me, but even if you do, I've already forgiven you. I'm already free of that. But so that you somehow can come to a place where you can have peace. Where you can understand that no matter what you do, I love you. And I forgive you. Romans chapter 5 reveals this. That while we were still yet sinners, Christ died for us. Before you could ever commit the offense, God removed the stain of you and I as offenders because he loves us. Because he's forgiven us. Ladies and gentlemen, forgiveness, this is what we do.